All right, well, good morning, Redemption Arcadia. So glad that you're here with us today, those of you who have joined us. And uh, for those of you also watching online, thank you for being here as well. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, so it's, it's actually a, a rare thing for us to get to meet to worship together like this these days, right now at least. And so we're so glad that we get to do that today. Would you stand? And we're going to worship the Lord together. This first song that we're going to sing is about God's love for us. And then we're going to sing a second song that is about our love for God in response. And so we're thankful that you're here. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you are present here by your spirit. We're thankful, Lord, that we get to gather with you and with each other. We pray your blessing over the time that we have together in this service, Lord all the elements of the service. Would you be glorified in these things? Lord, we pray for those that are watching online at home, and we pray your blessing over them and their households as well. And we pray that you be glorified in all these things today as we worship you, as we hear from your word, as we take communion, God, that you would be here. We praise you for your love, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. I hear the Savior sing.
weary souls to you, that you do lift us up instead. So God, we rest in you today, knowing that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your great love that led Jesus to the cross. Jesus, we praise you, our Savior. And Lord, in response, we say that we love you. In response, we say that we give our lives to you. We worship you. We obey you. We adore you, God. Would you be glorified today in this time that we have together with you and with each other? Lord, would you allow for these things as we hear from your word, as Pastor Tyler preaches, Lord, would you be glorified in all these things as we take communion? God, let it be an evidence of your love for us and our love for you, and would you be glorified in it in the name of Jesus? Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Malia. Good morning, church. Good to see you all. It's good to be here. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, for those able to make it in person, it's great to see you. It's great to be with you. We also realize at the same time that the majority of people are with us online. And so we just want to say we see you. We understand that it might be a while before we're all just together and, and able to be together in that way. But anyway, we just, we love you and we see you. So we want you to know that we are one congregation uh, within Redemption Church in Arizona. We're gospel-centered, outward-focused, and believe all of life is all for Jesus. And I'm excited to announce that we're going to be getting into the book of 1 John today. So we're going to be beginning a new book, and uh, I've really been looking forward to that. And after 1 John, we're going to be getting into the Gospel of John, so not to be confused with that. So we're going to spend six weeks in total, including this week, five more in 1 John. And then after that, we'll be getting into the Gospel of John and spend the next thousand weeks or so on that book. So I think we'll see um, that in this book, I just want to start by, by talking about why. Why are we reading 1 John and why right now? I think we'll see that this book has some incredible insight for us that we can glean and then begin to apply into our current time. From a book written between 70 and 90 AD, think about that, almost 1900 years ago has words for us. Now the majority of the view would say that this letter was written after the Gospel of John, but we're gonna do that first. And so we're really like that Star Wars episode four, five, six thing first. Then we'll get into the Gospel of John, kind of episodes one, two, and three. And unlike episode one, two, three, the Gospel of John will actually be really good. Um, in many ways, this is a continuation, this letter, of what John begins in the Gospel of John. The main thrust of that text is to see and believe in Jesus. And this book carries that forward in how to begin to live out the implications of the gospel message once received. Some have said that 1 John reads a lot more like a sermon or even a brochure rather than a letter to a specific church. And I think that reminds us that there are universal themes here with universal implications for God's people. Another thing we find in this letter are a lot of dichotomies, a lot of comparisons to illuminate different aspects of the Christian life lived out. We can see, I'll read some of these, but we can see walking in the light versus walking in darkness. We're gonna unpack that this week and even more next week. We can see love of the world versus love of the word. See children of God and antichrists. Yeah, we're gonna go there too. We see this knowing and learning versus 
walking and doing. We're going to see in this letter, it's encouraging us to be more concerned with that walking and doing part. We see man-centric versus Jesus-centric. We see themes that are addressed in here related. Some think are speaking against the early Gnostic movement, really tied into a more modern trend of post-modernity. We'll get into that a little bit more next week as well. But one of the big things we want you to see is that it's a comparison between what will last and what will not last. You could say in many ways this letter is a comparison between the world and its systems and the kingdom of God and its people. And the world's systems will not last. We can look through history and see these great empires that have risen and fallen. None have lasted and none will last, but the kingdom of God will endure. What the Lord is building is what will last. Now I'd like to talk about the author, John himself, briefly. Frank's going to get into this more when we begin the gospel. At least I think he is. Well, now he has to. Um, but there are a few things I want us to remember as we begin to read John's word, some things we should know about him. John experienced Jesus himself. He was loved by Jesus, had spoken with him directly, and is writing to us from that experience. Second, John here was in the latter part of his life. So he's speaking as a patriarch, as a grandfather or father to a beloved people. And this tone, I think, is what many connect with when they read John's words. Third, his language has been described as simple, but not simplistic. Very important difference there. He's not dumbing it down, but he's helping the reader focus on what's important. You notice that's often how we see very wise people speak, right? They, they focus on a few, but really powerful words. A lot of you might not know, I, I love motorcycles. I teach motorcycle safety classes, which means one thing that I get to do is be around really great motorcycle riders. What's cool about that is they get to ride around, and when they do, they're not necessarily doing complex things, but they make it look so easy. They make it look so easy. They're not trying to ride to show off. They've got this great depth behind what they're doing, and they really it, it comes across in their riding. So I don't think John is doing this loud show-off thing. What we see is this kind of quiet restraint, this meek communication, where there's a lot of depth and power behind the simplicity. Now, one last thing we should know about John's writing. Fourth, it's often described as poetic, even symphonic, but it doesn't follow that linear thought progression like, like the letters from Paul, for example, would. We'll see him wax and wane and and kind of return back to these ideas again and again, which can be hard to follow as a reader. And so um, despite my best efforts, church, I've not been able to get this into a linear, do this, then this, then this, because it's just, it's not easy to do with, with John's writing. So we're just going to embrace that. And so my message today may end up being nonsensical or, or not following any kind of logical, you know, conclusions, but it's not my fault. It's John's fault. Okay. I'm joking. Okay. So why first John? Because, church, this, this book has a word for us today, for this time, to lovingly call us back to Christ, to bring to light, to bring us to light, even harsh words we need to hear, but also a gentle assurance of who we are, church, and who we're becoming, a transformed people of God. And so why that title? Well, that title holds, I think, that double meaning in there, is that for those in Christ, we are already instantly transformed. We're not the same as we were, but God's not done with us. He doesn't leave us there. So we are being continually transformed into the image of God. And so we love differently, church. The way that we serve is different. We think differently. We're motivated by different things. In our prayer as pastors, I think I can speak on behalf of all the pastors and elders here and say that our hope and our prayer is that you would experience Jesus like John and that it would transform you once and continually. And with that said, let's jump in. So we're going to reread verses 1 through 4 and follow, if you can, John's, remember, the, the cyclical sort of language here. He mentions seeing just in the first couple of verses four different times. He kind of refers back to it, so follow along. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, speaking of Jesus, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. Isn't that interesting how he ends that? Do you see the point John's building here? Is that he was with Jesus. He's saying we were with him. And now he's telling you the things that he saw and heard. So that you would see and hear them too. So that you can experience this Jesus and have fellowship with us. So fellowship with God leads to fellowship with others. Leading to what John calls complete joy. So this also means Christian fellowship, church, can't come through information or knowledge alone. It comes with a shared experience of a person, of Jesus. It's not about the information or knowledge alone. It's about the shared experience of Jesus. That's, that's fellowship. Now that word originally is koinonia, meaning simply having something in common. Right? And Christians have the greatest commonality possible. Unity and commonality in Christ. And he wants this for us. We should want this for all people. One commentator says this. Christian community is partnership in experience. It's the common living of people who have a shared experience of Jesus Christ. They talk about this experience. They urge each other to grow more deeply in it. So Christian fellowship, again, can't come through information or knowledge alone. It's a shared experience of a person, Jesus. John has seen and touched with his hands, heard with his ears, been loved by Jesus, and feels a strong burden to share that with others. Church, you want to grow in evangelism? You want to grow in that boldness to evangelize others? See and experience Jesus more deeply for yourself. Because it's going to naturally do that. I think that's what he's getting at here. We could see a diagram here, if we could get that up. This, this kind of fellowship, just to help us picture, is multifaceted and kind of all at the same time. It's about my fellowship in Christ... And about your fellowship in Christ and my life in fellowship with yours. They're closely linked. I think we're going to see scripture start to use this interchangeably to say you can't have one without the other. If you say you have one without the other, you don't have any of them. That, that's what John's getting at here. So it's about the message of Jesus, the experience of Jesus. That's why John's writing. Look what he says about the message in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now we get into this really rich and interesting light and dark metaphor here. And the first thing, the main thing he wants you to hear is this, that God is light. There's no darkness at all. So God is the light, not us first. There's no darkness in him, but there is darkness in us now this this analogy of light is used elsewhere in scripture even by jesus and when it's used it's often referred to true knowledge the presence of god moral purity so it's kind of cheesy but think of us more like the moon or a mirror that actually just reflects the light we're not the source of the light god is the light we reflect that to others now this light of god is a light that cleanses Sounds nice. It purifies. How about this word? It exposes. A little less cozy there, right? So maybe it's, maybe it's not all that sunset warm kind of cozy light. Maybe it's a little bit of that surgeon light that clarifies, exposes. I think that's part of John's point here is that the cozy way, the easy way, the way we drift is actually toward the darkness where we can remain hidden following our own path but being exposed and walking in that exposure is a more difficult path but we know that the path towards the light is the one we ought to follow because in scripture it says that's where life is that's where fellowship with god is this is where 
disunity from God and one another is. So now he's going to begin to unpack that more, adding to it as he goes. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So he's speaking of hypocrisy here, saying one thing, looking like you're walking in the light, but really walking in the darkness. So when topics like that come up in scripture, we have to stop and go, wait, is this me? Is this me? So write in your journals, you, you note takers for later, where do I claim fellowship with Christ while walking in darkness? And beg God to show you, to root it out of you, to learn to hate sin and love God's word. Let's read verses 7 through 10. He continues, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So notice how interconnected. If we walk in the light, as he in the light is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Verse 8, if we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. God's not deceived. God's not fooled by that. The person that's deceived and fooled is our own heart, our own selves, when we say we have no sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, this great promise, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Kind of a harsh way to end that little section there. So notice, if you flip back through with your eyes and kind of breeze through those sections, what you're going to find is not whoever considers the light, whoever thinks about the light, ponders the light, but he who walks in the light or walks in darkness. There's an active fleeing from the other. He cannot abide both, right? So those in the light learn to flee the darkness, to stay in that light. Those who are in the darkness are often not ignorant of the light, but they're actively fleeing that light for fear of exposure. Having sin exposed is not a pleasant thing. If you've been a Christian a while, you know this. It's not pleasant. And this isn't new. Adam and Eve did this when they sinned. Did they run to God in humility and say, God, we've sinned. Man, we messed up. No, they turned and they, they ran and they hid. That's what walking in the darkness looks like. They ran and hid from the exposing light of God. And what happened in that moment was that true fellowship with God was broken. That true fellowship, even between themselves, was broken, shattered in that moment. That's what choosing to walk in darkness gets us. Back in verse 7, this idea of fellowship, Kenyan Bible commentator Dr. Samuel Angewa says this, true fellowship is possible. Let's pause there for a second. Does that feel true right now? Does it feel possible right now? True fellowship is possible, provided we walk in the light, as God is in the light. The fellowship starts with God and me, then moves out to embrace others so that we have fellowship with one another. True fellowship together is possible. But it's not easy. It's messy. If you've been in the church a while, you know it's messy. Relationships are that way. If you've been in a community group, it's messy. Amen? Amen. Okay, I think I heard one. Okay. Amen, yeah. It's messy. People sin. It's so easy is not promised. But it is possible. Look at the fellowship for a second of the group of disciples. Right? You had immoral tax collectors who would kind of skim a little extra on the top to kind of line their own pockets with, locked arms with, in unity, and at one with people who those tax collections harmed greatly. You had people pro and against the systems of government, even violently so, locked in arms. Why? How? They had Jesus in common. And that superseded everything else. Side note about verse 8. You want to know why truth is so hard? It says the truth is not in us. Why truth is so hard to find these days? Because of that. It's not in us. 
The truth is not in us. It's in God's word. So we have to read, church. We have to know the full counsel of God before we can begin walking in its wisdom. So I, this was helpful for me to ask myself and maybe asking you, are we reading our Bibles as much as we're reading the news? Maybe more than we're reading the news. And maybe the answer is that read less news. Maybe the answer is read more of God's word and let that shape you. That must be what shapes us. We've got to be doing that, especially now. Brothers and sisters in Christ, look back at verse 9. What do we do with sin? We're not surprised by it. We don't argue it. We confess it. Sinfulness is inherent in our lives. It's not going away, but yet. But confession must be the Christian's heartfelt reflex. We've got to build that reflex. So what does it look like to confess? Let's talk about what it is and what it isn't. So confession is not only you and God in a quiet room, just, just kind of one-on-one, because our sin doesn't work that way. It affects others. And so confession must be, at times, individual, and, and may include a communal element as well, and at times corporate. And by corporate, I don't just mean at your workplace, but systemic, larger-scale confession is necessary. So confession is one part of, one step in, the biblical doctrine of repentance and faith. Where does confession fit in there, I heard you say? I'm so glad you asked. Okay. So repentance and faith. The first thing we do, Christians, we consider and reflect. This involves asking, praying, learning. When confronted with difficulty, when sin's exposed, in the country or in our life, we start by learning, asking, praying. Have you considered, church, what is God doing in the midst of this pandemic right now? In me, in my community, in the country? What is God bringing to light with the racism being exposed in this country? And do I have a part to play in it? My community. Have you watched the video uh, that we put out a couple of Thursdays ago from uh, Pastor Frank and Ira, one of our deacons, about racism? Have you seen at least where our, some of our church leaders land on this? We'll try to give you some helpful things to, to wrestle with. Did you see that Frank released another video, a part two of that, um, this last week? And you might be thinking, how am I supposed to have caught that? I don't know where to find this information. Um, if you subscribe on YouTube, you'll catch it all there. It's on social media, and I know Stephanie, our operations manager would love if you would read the emails that she sends out because I'm smiling under here because it's all in there too. So when you're gonna, what you're going to find in those videos is not necessarily a list of do's and don'ts because that can be hard to do and we trust the Holy Spirit to kind of lead you in those things. But I can say easily we can fully support the work being done by Hustle Phoenix. They've been a partner of ours for a while, Oye Waddell. Its leader has spoken here many times. If you're looking for a way to serve or give, that would definitely be worth learning more about. I know any of the pastors here would love to share any resources we have to help you begin to have this conversation and this kind of learning if you're in that season. But there can't be a comprehensive list because what's often needed is advocacy from Christians in those little spaces with family and friends and coworkers. And so we trust those of you who love Jesus to just prayerfully consider ways and to reach out to us if you're looking for ways to to contribute steps you can take so learning considering two awareness and conviction awareness as we learn there should be this growing sense of awareness of the issue and when sin is exposed there should be a sense of danger attached to that and a growing disgust of the sin itself and the bad taste it leaves in your mouth if there's one thing wearing masks all the time has taught me, it's that my breath stinks a lot more than I thought it did. It's all I can smell in here. And so I'm growing an awareness of that now, even as we speak. But this awareness building and conviction giving is a work of the Holy Spirit in us, church, showing us that the evidence of sin is beginning to stack against us and it leads the Christian to respond. Three is repent. Simply, this is turning from and a turning to, not general, but specific repentance. Now, I've heard it said, repent of your particular sins, particularly. Isn't that good? 
You got to know what you're turning from to know what you're turning to. Have you taken the time to learn of our shared history in the church? Our shared history of violence towards people of color in the church? Do you know about this? Have you learned? I'm still learning. You're not going to find condemnation here if, if you're in that process of learning, but it was shocking to me the more I dug into this. Do we understand what our black community says when they experience the world fundamentally different than someone like me would? Do we understand what they're, where they're coming from there? And if not, how can we expect fellowship there? Fellowship is the goal, right? Shared fellowship with God, one another, that's the goal. But I can't jump there. I can't assume that. It comes through confession, awareness, conviction. Otherwise, church, we might be in danger of what it says here, of claiming the light while walking in the darkness. Now, this step in godly repentance often involves acts of reconciliation to those whom our sin may have affected. Our sin does affect others, and we must include levels of confession um, in the community. We're safe and with appropriate vulnerability and, and in wisdom and all that. But do you see how that step is really the beginning of that fellowship beginning right there? Now, I want to give an example of, of corporate confession. Um, SBC, not Scottsdale Bible Church, but the Southern Baptist Convention, in 1995 made a number of resolutions on racial reconciliation. This was in 1995. And you can research racism on sbc.net and, and find all these. What you'll find is a list of specific sins committed. Wrong thinking believed, scripture twisted, even weaponized against people of color in the church. And I hold this up in all of its ugly and gritty detail as an example of godly repentance naming those particular sins particularly it's important but church we can't stay there we must step forward into a faith response and so number four is receive grace this is harder than it sounds but look at verse nine when we confess we find a god faithful and just we find the forgiveness and cleansing of jesus how often do we forget that we think we're going to find condemnation, take this step, this step, this step, but what we find is cleansing, forgiveness. So no condemnation is needed. No self-laceration is needed. The guilt's been washed away, church. Amen. So that frees us to, number five, go, therefore. We get up, we dust ourselves off with our head held high, in joy, and we go in boldness, undeserved. Peace undeserved, freedom undeserved, but not unearned. This freedom was earned by Jesus, but given freely to us, and we receive in faith and go in boldness, continuing God's work in the world. This is what Christians do. Church, this is our heartfelt reflex, especially when confronted with areas of previous blindness. We consider it, we weigh it against Scripture in the wisdom of community and those we love and love us, Searching scripture, asking the Holy Spirit to convict. And I know you might be tired. Tired of hearing this, being told this already, being sent videos. And I'm with you in, in many ways. But this seems to me to be a, an amazing opportunity for evangelism. To show the world how Christians respond when confronted with sin. It's different. It's different to walk in the full light of God. And we're not going to do it perfectly. We're a work in progress. So Galatians 6, 9 reminds us that we, we must not grow weary in doing good. Speaking, this, these verses are speaking of bearing one another's burdens. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This is why I'm so glad to be part of a church that goes book by book. This isn't a, a topical thing. This is like a political thing. It's right here in the text. Fellowship is the goal with God and with one another, and it only comes through confession. Walking in light is, is not possible without fellowship with each other. We must have both. John's calling us to confession, and with bringing these things to light, we find an advocate, church. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2. My little children, again, there's that grandfather, 
tone right here. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So advocate, propitiation, we've got some courtroom terminology here. Painting a scene for us would be appropriate for us to kind of picture that now. And so propitiation is a rich, rich, deep word. It's one of those, one of those really great words. It's a legal term that involves both a removal of sin, a cleansing, and an appeasement of the wrath of God. And not just appeasement, but turning that wrath instead to favor. Wrath to favor. Darkness cannot be overlooked by God. It can't be excused or ignored. It has to be dealt with. When we receive the cleansing of God, church, it's not an act of forgetfulness, but of transference. A cleansing, a wrath taking, and a favor receiving. That's propitiation. So if we have an advocate, someone who speaks on our behalf, then we also have an accuser. Now, metaphorically, you could say that the world is our accuser. You could say that we ourselves step into the role of accuser at times. But ultimately, Satan is the accuser. That's one of the titles given to him. Accusing us of unfaithfulness to God, falling short of his glory, of sin, of walking in darkness. And he's right. He's not wrong. We have sin and we do walk in darkness. And so the verdict from God, the righteous judge, is guilty, but a powerless verdict to those in Christ, in whom the guilty verdict passes to. However, without Christ, the full and terrible weight of that guilty verdict remains on you, who have not cried out in faith, called out to be saved. So propitiation is needed because God can't just ignore our sin. All the wrong done in the world, Scripture says, the blood of the innocent cries out for justice. And remember, there's no darkness in God. It doesn't work. And so the very light itself becomes our darkness on the cross. And in one single act, salvation is made available to all. Taking not just the guilt. The guilt, remember, is that exposing of the problem. The shame is the identity that we wear. Jesus took it all. And so we, walking in light, respond in a couple of ways. We're going to sing. We're going to give. The way to give, there's a box in the back. There's, there, you can give online as well. And we receive communion during this time. So hopefully you have a cup near you. Briefly about this cup. Frank has reminded us each week that there is a small, clear film on top. Okay, it's kind of hard to see, hard to get to. But once you get that, that'll expose the wafer. And under that is the foil liner under that. Responding in faith, receiving communion is something Christians do. This is what it looks like to walk in the light, church. And not in darkness. Fellowship with God is fellowship with one another. It's a shared experience of Jesus. Come experience him now. He is the one who gets all the glory in all this. Our responsibility is only to confess. Confess and believe. Pray with me as we receive communion. God, you are the advocate. You speak on our behalf in the face of the accuser. You speak for us, and you're our propitiation. You washed, cleansed, removed sin. For that alone, God, we could praise you forever. And you take the wrath of God, and you turn it instead to favor, which is hard to imagine that we wear your righteousness like a robe for those who are in Christ. That's what you see, God, the judge, with the guilty verdict see instead us dressed in the righteousness of Christ so God we receive as a symbol your body that was broken in that act of propitiation we see your blood that was shed that was poured out willingly 
God. The perfect light of God himself became darkness, and he did it with us in mind, and so we thank you for that, God. We receive that. Give us the boldness and the freedom to move forward into this world in faith. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for worshiping together. Our benediction for this morning comes from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. So please receive this benediction. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus.